It's such a privilege to be here. Welcome to church. And uh, we, we vacillated. We said, what format should it take? What does it look like? But at these interesting times, I honestly believe we need to be preaching the Word of God. We need to be calling the church to read the Word of God, to be in the Word of God, and to stepping up to all that God has for us. So what a privilege it is to be together. We are doing a series called Whatever Happens. And um, tonight I've told my preach just like Jesus, again, not complicated, but whatever happens, I don't know if you've seen some of the classic quarantine memes going around. I'm not quite the Instagrammer of notes, but I give it a go. There's a very good one going on. There's a gentleman, he comes on and this voice asks him, who would you like to be locked down with? A, your wife and kids, or B, and he goes, B. B, be definitely B. He's <laughs> like, and you can almost hear a voice, but you haven't, no, B, it's definitely B. And I'm not saying that's my story, and I'm not agreeing with the sentiment, but I thought it was classic because my three kids, after all these, no school, all these things, B sounds attractive. Don't know what it is. Whatever it is, and whatever happens, that guy was in for B. And I thought that was classic. So um, you got to lock out. But I don't know if you were, you remember when you were kids, Gabe? Um, do you remember that day? I mean, long time ago now. Yeah. Wonderful. If I remember, you'd go with your mates, you're on your basket, your gang, and it's like, guys, whatever happens, we don't split. We don't tell, no one tells. It doesn't matter if your mom sees you doing what you shouldn't be doing. You never admit it. Whatever happens is, but what if she threatens to punish you? Whatever happens. I mean, what if, what if the granny down the road who's a little bit aggro, no, whatever happens, we're in. I, I don't know if you remember that, but it's like this. There is nothing that could happen. That should break this bond and this moment. And um, the amazing thing is this book is written by an amazing, amazing man who can live up to the credentials of whatever happens. Uh, the cool thing is in 2 Corinthians, there's a, he writes a letter to the Corinthians. It's written four years before the book of Philippians. Oh, we're getting Bible teach here. Four years ago. It's like four years ago since Liverpool lost and they lost Again, and, um, and uh, it's an amazing, amazing, I want to read this. This is his credentials. We didn't put it up on the screen, but why he can write a book like whatever happens, 2 Corinthians 11. He says this, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. It's a great CV for the gospel. Just going to say, if you want a CV for the gospel, this is the one you want. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from um, Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea. Make a great song. And in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and had often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. I mean, it's like if anyone could write something that challenged us to a gospel story and living a life of whatever happens, it's this guy. And so I don't know about you. The, this whatever happens comes from Philippians 1 verse 2. Whenever I read Paul, I want to read in Scottish. It comes, I haven't done it for a while. Would you, it's been, would you want it for Wednesday? I'm just saying. I'll give it a go. It's been a while. Whatever happens, this is Philippians 1 verse 27, just saying. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand in the one spirit, striving together as for the one in the faith of the gospel. And Paul was Scottish, there's no doubt. 
There is no doubt. Philippians 3, again, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things as I do it to safeguard your faith. And he, he uses these two, the one, these two challenges, whatever's going on. Pandemics, challenges, trials, pain, loss. It says, first of all, conduct yourself in a manner, manner worthy of the gospel, the gospel standard. People are looking for answers and ways out. And he says, there's no way out. There's just whatever happens, the gospel standard. He says, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Oh, but I'm sad today. Yes, you are. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, but I lost yesterday and I'm losing today. Yes, rejoice in the Lord because He is with you. And it's this massive, massive challenge. Whatever happens, seriously, Mark? Yes, seriously. Uh, 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 but the, the beaches are closed. Rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, conduct yourself. Whatever happens, but my boss, no, whatever happens. But my wife and kids, whatever happens. But yes, whatever your question is, whatever happens. This series is a challenge. And there's a pastoral concern when Paul writes any letter, like there's a pastoral concern whenever we preach certain books of the Bible. There are concerns that under the trials and the challenges and the persecutions and whatever's going on in your world in 2021, that there might be a vacillating, that there might be a whatever happens except for the T's and C's. No, the Apostle Paul in the gospel doesn't give us the space for the T's and C's. He pulls us into the big story of the gospel. He says, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, conduct yourself. Ah, oh, but if I just don't pay the tax man this year, no, the gospel. And, and maybe say, Mark, that's a bit harsh. I mean, I know you're supposed to tell us that that's the Bible. It's harsh. No, it's life. Every page of this Bible is life. Every truth that speaks to us and challenges is life. And on the other side of it will be life. And the journey it will be finding life. And when we live it out, I promise you, you will find life. And the Lion of Judah will be roaring. But let me tell you a little bit more about this writer named Paul, whose name used to be Saul. Always gets confusing when they change names. What was your formerly known name, Gabriel? Did you have one? You didn't have one, huh? Okay. Uh, but this guy had a radical, radical encounter with God that changes his life 180 degrees, literally. And every reason he lives for, everything he does in life, completely, completely changes. And then he's writing to the church in Philippi, the, the very first community he planted in Eastern Europe. So there's an affection in his heart. There's, he's been part of the story. He knows them. He knows the people. He knows the leaders. He poured himself out for them. This is not some random telling other people what to do. This is someone who paid a massive price to see the life of God birth into that city. Salvation's come, and it's cool. And he's writing to them. It's a Roman colony in Macedonia. It's got a whole bunch of ex-soldiers. So there's nationalism and nationalistic pride and a whole bunch of challenges and affronts coming. But in this city, there's a group of people who are working worshiping Jesus. They are full of life, full of color, and they're navigating what it is to be the early church at this time. But here's the amazing thing. Paul is writing this letter from one of the imprisonments he wrote about in 2 Corinthians. He, he's in prison. Prison, Roman prison, those days, not a picnic. Uh, there's no DSTV, there's no Netflix, there's no nothing. You are chained to a wall and you stay there and you're lucky if you get a meal or two a day. That's Paul and he's writing from prison to a church where he's thanking them and he's calling, but he doesn't just take the opportunity to thank them for the gift. He's writing them to encourage them in the gospel. And he's saying to them, I'm optimistic here, guys. I'm in prison. I'm probably going to be executed, but I, either side of it, I'm optimistic. He says, actually, if I get executed, that's a win for me says, the harder thing for me would be to serve the gospel and serve Christ by staying alive to serve you. 
I don't know about you, but if you ever flip the script, that's the one that would flip. It's like, that's not a letter I've got often from prison or even from anyone. I haven't got many letters from prison, but um, yeah, I'm just saying. (laughs) But amazing thing as well, this is a letter. And maybe if, if you're younger, you don't know what that is. It's not a Facebook message. It's not an Instagram message or something you get over the internet at all. It's actually someone holding a pen or writing it on paper. It stays there. It doesn't... And it goes, and it's a letter that is personal. I'm a bit of a letter guy. Only at key moments, key times. But I really know I'm in trouble when I get a letter from my wife. Doesn't happen often, and fortunately didn't happen in the whole year of 2020. That's how good a husband I was. But, I mean, the amazing thing is the design of this letter, because the book of Corinthians was a letter. The book of Galatians is a letter. Ephesians, they are letters written by the apostle to see the church thrive. And sometimes they had rebukes in them and sometimes challenges and often encouragements and gratitude and warnings. He writes this letter a bit differently. The design is different in that he doesn't develop one idea and go after one challenge or pastoral concern from beginning to end. He, he rather focuses on, on, on a couple of number ideas, but he pulls them together with something that I loved what the commentator called it, the center of gravity of Philippians, which is Philippians 2 in the poem written in Philippians 2 from verse 5 to 11. It's this center of gravity. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. And he, he positions them because there are problems facing this church. They are facing persecution. They are facing false teaching. And even more than that, they're having some boxing in the church. Can you imagine such a thing? Like, I know life changes. We don't even know what that is. We don't even know what that is. But he's challenging, saying, guys, come on. Come on. So he writes the book of Philippians, and it has the center of gravity. So we're going to start there tonight. Sounds a bit weird, doing eight watt part, part sermon uh, series, and we're going to start in two. Well, that's what we're going to do. Then we're going to go back to one and systematically preach through. Why? Because you start with the center of gravity. You start with the thing that holds. I love the image of the center of gravity. Any sportsman knows you've got to have gravity to have balance, to be able to administer. And I'll teach Gabe that one day on a golf ball. But it's, it's important to have a center of gravity so that you have power, you have balance, and, and you have authority. And I'm telling you, it's time for the church to have their center of gravity aligned to Jesus. It can't be aligned to economics. It can't be aligned to politics. I'm not saying we live in denial of those things at all, but I'm telling you, they cannot be the center of our gravity on this earth or we'll be shaken and blown by every storm. But he writes this to show how living as a Christian means seeing your own story in the expression and the life of Jesus. He's saying, hey, you don't get your story all on your own and tag a little bit of Jesus sticker on the back of your car or the back of your life. No, it's your story through Jesus and it challenges us. And my faith for us in this series is this, that lives will be changed. That, That those formerly known as lacking courage would find courage. Those formerly known as being shifted by storms and challenges would find courage. That offenses that have been lying around will be done. That marriages will find love. I promise you, you want a scripture for your marriage. Philippians 2. It doesn't say anything about marriage, but it says everything about a great marriage. It challenges us and the chains will come flying off. Can I pray? I feel like I'm very excited. I'm not used to preaching on a Wednesday night. So here we go. Jesus, we come before you tonight. Father, 
Holy Spirit, we come and we just ask as we preach your word, even as we read these scriptures, even if there's no points that I make that are helpful, I pray your word would bring life. Your word would bring life. I pray passion for your word would rise up inside of your people. And not just a passion to know the word, but a passion to be impacted, changed, transformed by the word of God coming upon us. I pray spirit of God burn upon us at this time. We need you, God. Lead us, Jesus. We love you, King. Amen. So I want to read from Philippians chapter 2. And um, in Philippians 1, there's that. It ends with that incredible scripture. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's a high standard. But I want to read from Philippians chapter 2. Maybe you can read with me at this time. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ... If any comfort from his love and if any common sharing in the spirit of any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Say nothing. Nothing. I feel like you need to say that loud again. Nothing. Come on. <laughs> Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, and this is the poem, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue can acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is said to be a prayer that would often be prayed and declared in the synagogues of God as God spoke and, and that Paul re repeats it and calls us to it and throws it in as the centerpiece of this incredible book where he is challenging to a high, high standard. But that's why we don't challenge with principle or lifestyle or policy. We only challenge with Jesus, his life, and our gravity is found in that. So I want to just systematically and quite quickly, because we have limited time, work through something of this. Verse 1, if therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. And it's, He's challenging them towards this no matter what. And I want to read that in the message version because I think it's cool and it leads us. It says, if you've gotten anything at all from following Christ. I mean, I'm not saying He's being sarcastic, but He's definitely got a tone. If His love has made any difference in your life, if being into community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other, love each other, and be deep-spirited friends. And I, my first point is quite simple. This, do me a favor. I know it sounds trite, and I know it sounds like, but he asked these rhetorical questions. He's not asking for an answer. He didn't say respond back to me. And he asked these rhetorical questions that I don't have time to work through each of them super deeply. But the first was, you got any encouragement from being united with Christ? You are united with the King of Kings. He is your brother. He has pulled you into a bigger story. Does that give you just a little bit of courage? Because maybe tonight you need to be reminded of the courage that should bring you. I love the fact that he says, you're going to have challenge. He writes it in 2 Timothy 3. He writes it to Timothy, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. 
While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He says, hey guys, it's coming. But take encouragement from this, Jesus. He says, uh, rhetorical question, if any comfort. He's saying, you will get comfort. And I love 2 Corinthians, just reminds us that there's no circumstance greater than the comfort found in Christ. I, I want to tell you that it doesn't matter the pain in your story. There's no great circumstance that overwhelms and can overcome the comfort found in Christ. He says, if there's any fellowship in the spirit, the koinonia, the, the power and means being part of community and family in the power of this. He said, guys, I'm not looking for an answer. I'm just telling you, you need to process these things again because we take them for granted. He says, if there's any affection, any mercy, we need just one glance at the beauty of salvation and you are reminded that you've received mercy and you ongoingly and continuously receive mercy. I don't know about you, but he's setting me up for something. This letter, I'm reading it, I'm going, he's sitting there, it says, then he calls them to something amazing. He says, then make my joy complete. He says, my joy isn't complete in me getting out of these chains. I don't know about you, but I think the letter will say, well, if I get out of these chains, I'll be joyful. He says, no, no, make my joy complete by being this like-minded, having the same love, one in spirit and one mind. He says, the goal is unity. He, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather than humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but to the interests of others. You want to manifest it for life. You're saying, I don't know how to live this Christian life. Start here. Forget everything else. Start here. Lose to win. Lay your life down. We're sitting with uh, Michelle and Johan last night talking about marriage and, and, and this dynamic of, of this incredible dynamic of I lay myself down and I win. I lose and I win. Jesus shows us in the gospel that when we lay ourselves down and, and we come in humility and we continually posture ourselves in a posture of humility, there is power there. In a world that says to, to, to lack humility, to be bombastic, where leaders find the way to leaders to bombastically overwhelm, the Bible says it's the complete opposite. Come in humility. Not a philosophy of Christianity. Philippians challenges these externals, says selfish ambition. He's not saying ambition's bad. He's saying selfish ambition. All about you. No, the Bible says get over you and be about Christ. And, and, and find where self lays ourselves down. God's he's digging into behind the scenes. He says, let, let nothing be done through vain conceit. He says, I don't know about you, but he keeps reminding that there's a big picture. He says, you can, you can be generous out of vain conceit. You can, hey, look at me giving money to the poor. Sorry, but I hate it. And, and God's going to challenge those things. And I'm not judging, saying necessarily that I know exactly what your, 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 your reason for that is. But I'm telling you, I'd be very, very careful. We live in a, in a world that is the principles of life are so different. That's why Paul speaks to us. He says, value others above yourselves. Not just the same as you value yourself. He says, no, value them above yourselves. It's a challenge in a world that has systems and, and hierarchies. And, and, and to live in that is to live and present this life that everyone aspires to. He says, no, actually have an attitude. And I want to jump ahead. I've got to run ahead because I want to get to the center of gravity scriptures, but not looking to your own interest, but to the interests of others. This is the powerful, spirit-filled, healing community. And then he fixes them on the center of gravity, Jesus. He says, actually, in your relationships with one another, have that the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. What I've learned over time is that a mindset is a powerful thing. 
It's like ideas get poured into the mind of our hearts and our souls and our everything. And unless we establish them in the Spirit of God, they become set. It's like concrete that becomes set and it becomes hard to undo those mindsets. And Paul is challenging a church, you've encountered the love of Jesus Christ and I need your mind set to be the same as the attitude of Jesus Christ. It's the same, just like Jesus. Oh, Mark, I can't do that. No, the Bible says you've been given everything, everything you need for life and godliness, especially when it comes to mindset. Speak to life coaches and sports coaches and the mind is everything, the power of the mind. So as we navigate this, Matthew challenge says, love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. I remember those guys used to come to our school, those Christian guys, you guys are too young, but there was this, these, uh, the Bible tearing guys, you know those guys, like muscles on muscles, like, yeah. like just they, they, and they would come and tell us, God is great and rip a phone book apart. I'm like, wow, I want that, which we do need. We need power. We need strength, but I'm telling you, we need our minds to be fashioned, to be report, to find themselves, and, and Scripture coming and affronting our thought processes that we feel justified in offense. No, you can't. Bible says, do not be offended. Do not take offense. It challenges. And then it speaks about Jesus, and the poem continues, this life, death, resurrection, the exaltation of Jesus Christ. He pulls us into us and anchors that for the whole book of Philippians. And every one of the next stories or ideas he'll present and challenge, he references and pushes towards this picture of Jesus. And he says in verse 6, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used on his own. The ESV puts it this way, it says, counted not the being on equality with God as a thing to be grasped. We live in a world of grasping. We do. We, we live in a world of grasping where, where it's take what I can, take it now, take it for this time. And Jesus never grasped. He modeled to us sonship, that sons don't have to grasp. I, I, I love my dog, Pilot, but if you give him half a chance, he'll grasp at food. He'll take a shot. He'll take a sneaky gap. And I'm telling you, it's because, uh, but we, we've got to be sons who understand that we don't do that. We don't have to. Why? Because Jesus could have grasped his deity instead of being nailed to a cross. He could have said, who, who do you think I am to be sent? But he chose something different. He says, rather. So you've got to choose something different. Rather. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The challenges make yourself nothing. I hear a lot of Christians say, no, God will humble me. God will lead me. And yet the model of Jesus is he made himself nothing. And by taking the very nature of a servant, oh, I'll serve a church if the opportunity comes up. I'll serve people if they're there. I'll jump in if there's a need. No, he didn't jump in if there needs. He took it. He took the very nature of a servant, not just the action of a servant. There's a difference. I can do what a servant does and I can find courage in doing what, it, and look at me, I'm doing what, it, but the, the nature of a servant is something different. The nature of a servant he modeled when he got down on his knees with a bucket of water and he washed those dirty disciples' feet. I don't know about you. It's one of the things I didn't like about Jesus. I'm like going, Jesus, that's your gig. It's not my gig. I don't like dirty feet. Now these are dirty disciples' feet that have been walking in sandals through dirt. Have I said dirt a few times? got an issue with dirt and and he gets down the king of kings the perfect one he he takes on the nature of a servant he he didn't have to be a servant 
but he took on the nature of a servant and he washes those feet. And you know what? I'm amazed by that story and the Bible doesn't tell us expressing it, but, but one of those disciples whose feet he would have washed would have been Judas. Just think about that for a second. Think about how you justify your attitude towards your boss. You justify your attitude towards a policeman who's telling you to obey the law, even though you don't agree with it. Jesus washed Judas' feet. And he, then he instructs the disciples, and I believe he instructs us in John 13. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also have washed one another's feet. He says, I've set an example for you so that do as I've done for you. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So obedience is a big word. It's a challenging word. It's not a popular word. The millennials don't like it. Not too many people like it right now. There's a whole bunch of people who don't like the idea of being obedient to authority. But I'm telling you, if you want authority in your life, you will submit to authority in your life. You will find authority to submit to. You will walk in it and you will find the ability to navigate that. Why? Because God wants to give you authority. But so many kicking and screaming against it. Why? Because there's power in obedience. There's power in being an obedient son and daughter of the living God. And we need to find that obedience. And Jesus models to us, says this obedience isn't measured with T's and C's. This is an obedience to death. The whatever happens, gospel is a gospel that is anchored in Jesus, his faithfulness. Even if in his faithfulness, death is part of the story. And I'm telling you, I don't like preaching that, but that's what the Apostle Paul is challenging us. And we've modeled things down and we've softened them up and we've made them palatable for the church. But the gospel was never meant to be palatable. The gospel is powerful. It is transforming. It transforms my life so I can be part of the transforming story of the world. And it pulls us into it. And the Apostle Paul is saying, come on now. Obedience. I don't care if it's popular. I care that it's powerful. It says, to death. See, sometimes we've got to bring some things, allow them to die, self-obsession, emotion. But I love the way this ends, and it reminds us that on the other side of this, just like Jesus' journey, there's this. He says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus got lifted up. He got given a name. He got honored. He got acknowledged. What does everyone in our world want? They want to be lifted up. Yeah. They want to be given a name. They want to be acknowledged. They want to be honored. Jesus says, hey, you want to be honored? Take on the nature of a servant. Don't wait for an opportunity. Wait for a leader to come and challenge you and say, you really should serve because it's a good part of the discipleship journey. No, if just like Jesus, start walking in the same. Change the mindset that, oh, I'm not a server. The most powerful examples in my life are not just preachers who've spoken to my life. They're businessmen with hundreds of millions of rent who I would drive into car parks and church and they would direct me into a park and I'm going, why is he working here with an orange jacket on? Why? Because he has the same mindset of that of Christ. He is powerful. He's transforming. Why? Because there's a whatever happens gospel that changes the world. And there's a whatever happens with, with T's and C's gospel that doesn't. And the Apostle Paul reminds us, whatever happens 
Is your faith a whatever happens kinds of faith? And as we preach a series, and I'm going to land now, I had so much more completely overprepared, but is your faith a whatever happens kind of faith? Is your love for Jesus and belief that He's above it all, beyond it all, a whatever happens? Where the authorities of this world disappoint you or challenge you or challenge your beliefs or your perspectives or your opinion, will you lay them down like a servant? Will you lay them down with the same attitude as that of Christ? I can't let you off the hook. Why? Because I want to change the world for Jesus and I want to do it with you. And I'm telling you, it's on the other side of us finding our center of gravity in Jesus and having the same mindset and the same attitude. And here's a confession from a preacher. I fail all the time. So I've got to find myself back in the Word of God, back on my knees. Why? Because I want a whatever happens kind of faith. I want my kids to tell the stories that their parents had a whatever happens kind of faith. I want the legacy and the the story of our church and our city to be had. They had a whatever happens kind of faith, which didn't just look like fighting every authority in the world. It looked like submission to authority. It looked like accessing power in humility. It looked like gentleness when the world came with aggression. It's different. So we jump into the series of whatever happens, not telling you a whole bunch of principles on how to live. There's no power in that. There's power in seeing Jesus. I want to pray for us now that as we jump into the series, I am so, so, so excited because I believe it is a series for us. It's a book for us. But please, please don't wait for us just to preach it to you. Please find yourself in the Word of God. I've intentionally read the whole Scripture over twice tonight. Why? I want you to know that it's not that complicated, that God wants to show you things, give you power and pull you into a bigger story. So God, I pray for every person with us tonight. I pray for my own heart that sometimes wants to put T's and C's in the way. And I pray a whatever happens, faith. I pray a whatever happens, that your mindset would be my mindset. I pray whatever happens, that I would be a son of the living God and represent you well. That whether you're in the room or you're not, like Paul wrote, that in your absence, in your presence, in, your, in the awareness of your presence, should I better rather say, or the lack of it, I would still live a life that brings you glory, conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel for your glory. Because I want to see revival, God. I want to see salvation on the streets of our city. I want to see salvation on my neighbors. I want to see salvation in the city. I want this nation to see you, God, as the only hope and bright shining star into eternity. It's Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus.